Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Romans chapter number five. Romans chapter number five. In our family, we always had an agreement that if I used an illustration that I didn't first get permission for, I had to pay the recipient $20. And I have to say, while I am preparing to walk up to the platform today, I am thinking I did not get permission for this illustration. So Julie, I owe you $20, okay. My wife is good at a lot of things, and I don't say that just to say, she's, she's really good at a lot of things, and she's really good at gift giving. In other words, she's good at thinking about some specific special thing that would be meaningful to the recipient, and whether that's a simple gift that, that she finds somewhere or something she's been thinking about, she's really good at selecting meaningful gifts. But this is something she's not really that good at. Now, I don't know if she's going to acknowledge this or not, but I'm telling you she's not very good at this, okay? She's not very good at keeping gifts or keeping them a secret. Like as soon as she gets a gift for someone, she wants to give it right away. She might get someone's Christmas gift in late November and say, I think we should give it now, you know? It's like, no, 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 you have to wait. When she gets a gift for someone, she doesn't like to wait. She wants to get the gift to the person just as soon as possible. Now, how many of you like to just hold on to gifts until the moment is, has finally, how many of you are, hold on to it? How many of you are more like my wife? Like, no, give them the gift. Wow, there are a lot of you that need counseling. So... She likes to give gifts and, and apparently it is like a lot of you in here and as much as I hate to say it, it is not an uncommon pattern that we see even in the passage that's before us today. It's almost as if God says, now I do have gifts for you and those are some, some future glories, however, I also have something that I just can't wait to give you. I want you to have it now. It's not something that I'm going to hoard to myself. It's not that which I'm going to keep until some future appointed time. In fact, I would submit that all along the trail of life, God in his goodness says, your days are going to be marked by that which, if you'll understand it correctly, is nothing less than one of the good gifts from the hand of your loving Father. Your Bibles are open to Romans chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse number 1 to give us context for where our text begins, and that really is verse number 3. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. This is one of the, the good gifts from the hand of a loving father. But we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts 
by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I think we understand the phrase that says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's one of those simple reminders in Scripture that we have a future and a hope that is ours. And because of who we know, we, we know Jesus Christ. We have reservations that secure for us a place in our future heavenly home. Clearly to boast in the hope of the glory of God is something that all of us should readily understand. But there's a little phrase at the beginning of verse number three that adds some, but that's not all, kind of information. What is it that is left for us when we say, but that's not all? Notice again verse number three, it says, and not only so, not only do we have this hope in the, the future glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. The title of the message today is, We Glory in Tribulations Also. When we start to think about how do we break this passage down, we're going to look to begin with today at what does tribulation perceive? The, the word glory that we're about to look at here is literally to boast. It is to triumphantly exalt. And Paul's already used this word previously in Romans. In chapter 2, verse number 23, he says, Thou that makest thy boast in the law, you who are making your glory the law. It's the same word that we see throughout Scripture. It just means we're boasting in something, exalting in something or someone. And, and the word knowing is used here. And the word is rich in significance for us as believers. The word knowing means to see for yourself, to be sure, to understand, to experience, even so far as to say, I am skilled in this through personal experience. Knowing, listen, I'm not just telling you something that someone has passed on to me. I'm telling you something that I know personally. This is the idea of knowing. As we look at the word knowing, we understand that Paul is saying this is for you personally to have testimony of the same. For a believer to say, I boast not only in my future glory, but in my present groanings, my current distresses, my difficulties, my dilemmas. This is something that every believer should be able to personally attest to. So let me ask, what is currently your greatest trial? What is it at this moment your deepest tribulation? Your most severe form of suffering? So name it. Identify it. And then ask, are you able to boast that your faith is actually greater than your tribulation? Is what you're holding on to stronger than that which is battering you? You see, without any tribulation, your boasting really doesn't mean much. But if we can boast, even in the midst of our trial, we are beginning to truly perceive, to see our tribulation in light of our triumph in Jesus Christ. This last Friday, I was driving 
home on the interstate and I saw a vehicle I have never seen before. And it was a beautiful vehicle. And um, I saw it, I'm, I'm approaching it, it was on my right and I, I start to pull up and I see like, what is that vehicle? And, and quite honestly, I tried to look it up afterwards and I still haven't found the vehicle, but it was a powerful looking off-road vehicle. And it was beautiful. It wasn't one of these, you know, tricked out vehicles. This was off the showroom floor, beautiful. And it had sleek lines. It was just like, wow, what a vehicle. But it also had the kind of exhaust system that actually, the exhaust came above the roof. And the reason it does that, and it was done in this really stylish way up, up the front side of the vehicle. And, and, and I'm looking at this vehicle and it's like, this thing is showroom beautiful and, it, and it's elegant, it's sleek. In fact, inside I think there was like a mom and two elementary kids. And I'm wondering, as I'm looking at this vehicle, it's never going to be used for what it was built to do. Now maybe she had a rough trip to the grocery store or there are some things that I just don't know about but I'm looking at this vehicle and at least I'm wondering. Now maybe there are things of which I know not but I'm at least wondering is this vehicle ever going to be submerged halfway up the vehicle so that the exhaust can do what it was built to do. Now how many of you if you had a vehicle you'd like to say something like let's see what this baby can do. You want to at least experience like, wow, do you know this thing was built to do this and this and this? What was your faith built to do? How much can your faith handle? How deep are the roots that go down into the strength of your God? How secure is the rock upon which your faith is established? You know, one of the things that tribulation perceives, it starts to approach, it begins to understand is that there is nothing that can overwhelm the person whose faith is truly found in the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith becomes this living demonstration that it does all that God says it can do. We read of this in, in the, the early letter that was written to the church who is experiencing tribulation from Pastor James, the book that bears his title, his own name. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. That means, means various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He's saying, hey, listen, did you know that when you fall into diverse temptations, these various trials, there is actually something in it for you. And you're going to see something about your untested faith that will stand up to the trial that is before you. This has always been the case with the true followers of Christ, the tribulation that marks the pathway of their lives. And if you notice the carefulness of the wording Paul uses here, he says, we glory in tribulations also. He's not saying this, so let's be clear about what is it that he's saying. He's not saying you should glory in the tribulations. He's saying we can glory in the midst of the tribulation. 
Do you know, many times I think we, we have this strange, almost plastic form of Christianity. That we, we try to, to plaster some smile on our face in the midst of the depth of hurting, trial, difficulty. We, we, we find ourselves trying to just put on a happy face and that is not what the Apostle Paul's saying. In fact, I found it interesting in some of the very blunt comments that commentators were writing about this passage. One of them wrote quite transparent, transparently, he said, it bothers me when Christians, and then he went on to say, try to just skip through the trials and, and put on this smile and say, everything's okay and I'm so happy. There are trials that at times rock our emotional world. And the Apostle Paul is not saying, hey, we're glorying because of the tribulation. He says, no, 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 no. Your faith is such that you have the potential to find some sense of the glory, the strength, the stability of Almighty God, even in the midst of your tribulation. The word in just before tribulation, it means literally in a place, at a time, in that state. He gives us examples of this, of his own experience. He's saying, listen, I'm not telling you something that I haven't personally experienced. The Apostle Paul, in one of the, the, the better known passages, writing to the church in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, that's our same word, will I rather glory in my infirmities, in the time of my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice how he goes on. Therefore, I take pleasure in, in the midst of, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Why would I be able to do this in the midst of these things? Because he answers the question, he says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Then I get to see the reality of the strength of Almighty God. Again, he's saying that the God that we have placed our faith and trust and confidence in has the strength necessary for whatever lies ahead. Remember in verse 2 of Romans, we're reminded, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our standing by faith is into this place of grace. This is the source of our strength, his grace have you ever gotten have you ever gotten a new tool or, or done something got got something new and and you're upgrading or you're you're replacing something that was worn out and and you put it you know you you got the new tool for example let's say you you put a new blade on your saw have you ever done that before put a new blade on your saw I watched someone recently and they were, they were trying to run a board through a table saw. It was a neighbor. And I just saw smoke coming from this wood that he was trying to cut. And it wasn't a big piece of wood. But what it meant is the, the blade was dull. It needs to have a replaced blade. Have you ever put a new blade on your, your table saw? And you put a new blade on it and then you run a piece of hardwood through the blade. And then it just, it's just cutting through there and it, and it cuts like butter. And you have some strange, I don't, know, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but man, if I do that, I have this smile on my face like, 
oh, I used a table saw yesterday. And I came in and I, talk, I was cutting some, some wood for my wife, a project she's working on. And I cut the wood and I brought the tool back in and I told my wife, which I say, I think every time I use that saw, I said, I love this tool. And I hugged it and I put it away. I love the, I didn't really hug it, but I, I, I gave it a mental hug. And then I put the tool away. I love that tool. Do you know why I love it? Because that thing performs. You know, if you put a new blade on your saw and you cut something through it, maybe you go in and you tell your spouse, boy, that new blade, it'll cut through anything. It cut through it like it was butter. Do you know what you're doing? You're boasting. You're exalting. You are so pleased that what you have is fit for the job. And then your, your wife may like, that's nice. That's nice. That's ah, great. Do you know what Paul is saying to us here? He's saying you have a faith that you should be boasting about. Let me tell you what I went through and let me tell you about my faith. Because my trial was great, but my faith is greater still. He's saying this is what tribulation perceives. I have a new understanding about the reality of my faith because of the reality of my tribulation. Paul says it again this way to the church at Corinth. He said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He's saying, hey, listen, it doesn't matter what you throw at us. Our God is greater still. This is what tribulation allows us to perceive. But let's go beyond it a bit and let's see what does tribulation provide. Okay, so I get to see something in light of, I get to understand something more clearly. But what does tribulation provide? Is there something in it for me? Again, let's start in verse number three of our text, Romans chapter five. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It should be, again, important to note that Paul is not saying that we are some strange people that enjoy the pain of tribulation. Instead, he is saying there is actually something in it for you. You know, we looked previously at James chapter 1, verse number 2. But look a little bit further in this passage. James 1, verse, beginning in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Verse number 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Do you know what Paul does? Same, things, same thing that James does. He starts to walk us through, these are the perks, so to speak. These are all the benefits that are awaiting you on the other side of, or even in the midst of, our trial, our tribulation, our affliction. He starts to list them. Look at our passage. Look at verse number three. He says, we glory in tribulations also. Okay, so what does tribulation provide? The first thing it provides is, is what the word means. 
If you were to look up the word tribulation, the word literally means pressure. It means to be squeezed. It means to be in straits, like, whoa, there, there is this on this side, this on this side, and I, I, I feel like it's getting narrow and more narrow. I, I don't have any place to go. There are some that say this is the word that would describe the press of the grape, where, where you put it in the press and then only through squeezing do you get the juice from the same, or the olive that is put in there. And so you get the juice from the grape or you get the oil from the olive through pressure, through squeezing. We live in a world today that is trying to remove any pressure from our lives. And it seems like the more we run from it, the more we find ourselves in the midst of it. Like the more we try to avoid pressure situations, the more aware we are that there are more pressure situations. We try to say, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm under a lot of pressure right now. And it seems like this day and this age, there are are more pressures than, than we can find release for. Do you know what the Apostle Paul is not telling us to do as believers? He's not telling us to try to live in a world that is free from pressure. The reason he's saying that is because it's an impossibility. You will never find your place in a situation where you will never have pressure, squeezing, like closing in. You say, well, I don't like that. That might be the case, but that's not the answer to what do we do when. What does tribulation provide? It actually provides squeezing, pressure. There is some closing in. Okay, so, so what's going to happen with that pressure, that closing in, that squeezing? Well, let's look a little bit further because he starts to explain. The, the reason we're going to get the following is because of the first. Tribulation, that squeezing is about to produce something good. Look again at verse number three, says we glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulation worketh. And now he starts a list of benefits from the tribulation. Tribulation worketh patience. This word means endurance. It means the ability to stand. It has the idea of growing roots that go deep and withstand the raging storms around you. It is a powerful recognition that you will not be defeated You will not be overrun. You will not be overcome. You will stand because the grace wherein you stand is in fact sufficient. So what does tribulation provide? Well, it provides pressure. It provides patience. And then look what follows patience. And verse number four, and patience, experience. The word experience here is used also in 2 Corinthians 2.9. For to this end also did I write that I might know the... Now, we could use experience of you, but Paul uses the word here. It's translated as proof. That I might know the proof of you. Okay, here's what the word experience means. It means, hey, prove it. Prove it. Do you ever use those words with someone? Hey, I can do this and this and this. And we look at them and we say, prove it. And you know what Paul says, here's what tribulation does, it provides for you. It provides proof that the claims of Christianity are legitimate claims. 
What are the claims that God has made for you? Is he saying, my grace is sufficient for you? And do you know what tribulation provides? For you to be able to say, I have the experience personally. I have the proof personally that his grace is in fact sufficient. It's the kind of person who says, I know this works because I've experienced it myself. It's as if we're understanding that because our faith can withstand tribulation, it's demonstrated itself to be authentic. It is our proof. I, I told a story for years, but haven't told it in years, about a man whose name is Booth Tucker. He was one of the early founders of the Salvation Army. Booth Tucker was preaching to a large crowd in the city of Chicago. And as he is preaching, he's preaching about the sufficiency and the empathy of Jesus. So he is preaching this message, talking about how God is a sufficient God. He's an empathetic God. He understands where we are, even in the midst of our trial. At the conclusion of the sermon, a man came up to Booth Tucker following it. And he said, if your wife had just died, like mine has, and your babies were crying for their mother, who would never come back to them, you wouldn't be saying what you are saying. And the man turned and he walked out and he left Booth Tucker somewhat befuddled as to how do I answer this man? Tragically, just a few days later, Booth Tucker's wife was traveling on a train en route to Chicago and the train had an accident. And as I, as I studied this story out further, I found that she was the only person on the train whose life was lost through the accident. So now Booth Tucker's wife is gone. In the same chapel where he had preached and told this man or, or had preached about the empathy and the sufficiency of Jesus, the same chapel where the man had come and said, if your wife were gone, and if your babies were crying for their mother, you would not be saying what you are saying. In that chapel, Booth Tucker has the service for his wife. And there are certainly tears that are shed on his part at this moment. At the close of the service, it's reported that Booth Tucker was standing next to his wife, peering into her face as her body lay in this casket. And he said, the other day a man told me I wouldn't speak of the sympathy of Jesus. If my wife had died, if that man is here, I want to tell him that Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken, but it has a song put there by Jesus. I want that man to know that Jesus Christ speaks comfort to me today. That is the experience that tribulation provides. We don't seek the tribulation, but we do say there is something that is produced through the tribulation, and it is experience that says Christ is sufficient. What does this continue to provide? The Bible goes on in verse number four, it says, and experience then produces hope. We've seen this word already in chapter 5. Again, it means that we have a certain expectation. We have a place at the table and it has been reserved for us. It is for me this confident expectation. What does hope then provide? Verse number 5 says, and hope maketh not ashamed. 
All of this comes as a result of, all of this comes as what is provided by tribulation. It gives us confidence. Hope maketh not ashamed. This is our joyful confidence and not only our glory in the future, but presently because of the glory in the fire, not only glory in the future. This is the depth of our confidence in the strength, the power, the reality of our faith. It's saying you won't be disappointed. You could say that your faith in God will produce something that actually exceeds all expectation. Have you ever read reviews before? We rely on them pretty significantly today. We see something and then we want to see what are other people saying about this? What is their experience? And you know, for the believer who has their faith rightly rooted, even in the midst of tribulation, we can say, let me tell you about my faith. My God has not only been sufficient for the trial, but my God actually exceeds my expectation. This is my experience. This is my confidence. And my faith makes me not ashamed. There are many things that don't meet our expectations. They disappoint us, but not our God. If we're living life disappointed, we are placing our hope in the wrong thing. Let me ask you this. In what have you been disappointed? In what have you been disappointed? And are your disappointments then defining your life? Some people live the rest of their life because they were disappointed in this person. I was disappointed in this organization. I was disappointed in this child. I was disappointed in this spouse. I was disappointed in this job. I was disappointed in... And you fill in the blank. Isn't it sad that at times there are people whose lives are defined by their disappointments and they're placing their disappointments in lesser things. If you start with your confidence in the right place, you will never be disappointed. The psalmist said it this way. He asks an honest question. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why do I feel like I feel? Why am I dejected and disappointed and depressed and discouraged? Why is this my reality? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And do you know what he does? He answers his own question. Do you ever have conversations with yourself? He answers his own question. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, come on now, think. You've been hoping in the wrong thing. You've been placing your expectation in the wrong thing. He says, hope thou in God, because I have every expectation. I have every confidence that I shall yet praise him. Paul says that the hope that we have in God will never be disappointed. So why do we hope in anything else while he waits for us to hope in him? So truly, there is something we can perceive only through tribulation. There is something provided only through tribulation. And finally, he, he, in verse number five, he says, okay, and this is what your tribulations actually not just going to provide. It's going to do this, 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 and this, but it's going to produce something. 
something is actually going to be, in a sense, organically produced. Okay, what is that? Look at verse number five, Romans chapter five. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. One commentary said, here we have the first mention of love and the first formal mention of the Holy Spirit in the epistle. Do you, do you know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, now, I know we have looked at some, some dark days of sin. I know we've looked at some harsh realities for our current situation. But do you know the, the light has dawned? Jesus Christ now is our answer. And he says, let's now understand the love of God and the vehicle by which that's given, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And now he says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. This kind of faith, this kind of God, this kind of hope never disappoints us. Yes, a misplaced hope, a lesser God, an illegitimate faith will disappoint, and they always do. But not God. In fact, when someone says, I tried Jesus and it didn't work, there's really only one answer to that. You tried a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible, because as the songwriter wrote, Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, never fails. In Romans chapter 8, we're going to find the word tribulation used again. And, and we get to understand like, wow, what is, the, what is the produce of this? The love of God. The same word we find in our passage today. Listen to what we're reminded of later on in Romans. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 35, Paul asks again what we might say is a rhetorical question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember, Paul just introduced this idea of love to us in Romans chapter 5. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And then he asks the question later on. He's revisiting this. Who, or you could say the word can be translated as what as well. Who shall separate us? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he has this, this wonderful list. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall? Shall tribulation? Ah, we know that word, don't we? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? Do you know as believers, he says, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He says, this is the, the, the tribulation that we go through. And then he says, listen, it doesn't matter what you mention. Nay, in all these things, we are, what's the next word? Do you know the next word? Nay, in all these things, we are more than, more than. There is something about our faith that, listen, uh, tribulation, trial famine nakedness peril sword we're, we're, we're sheep that are scattered we're, we're, we're set for the slaughter he says listen it doesn't matter nay in all these things we are more than conquerors there is more than enough at his table of our provision nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded this is my experience I am persuaded Paul's saying that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. And I've forgotten something, he says, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul uses this expression, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. He's saying it is more than sufficient for you to be a conqueror no matter the tribulation or trial. More than. Have you ever put, do you remember back when we used to cook popcorn on a pan on top of the oven? How many of you still do that? Still do that. A few of you, how many of you are, are more, you hit the popcorn button and it does it for you? Okay, that is a lot of people. I can remember we used to um, put a little oil in the bottom of a pan and, and mom would sprinkle the popcorn in there and, and you'd turn the oven on and you'd start to shake that pan. Do you remember it? And then, and then it was kind of exciting as a kid when you'd hear the first of the pop and, and it just starts to expand. Did any of you thinking you knew how to do popcorn ever, ever put a little too much in the pan? And that thing starts popping and you're excited, you know, you're 12 and mom's at the store and you're making popcorn. And, and you start to cook it and, and man, we'd have the lid and, and we're shaking it just like mom and, and it's popping. And then all of a sudden, wow, it's like it should be done because you can feel that popcorn's in there. But it isn't done. And it still pops and it pops and it pops. And, and mom walks in and you're shoveling popcorn out of the kitchen. That's the idea of shed abroad in your heart. The love of God shed abroad in your heart. And, and what is it that activates this love of God? What is it that activates it? Okay, now I know we're careful with this, but how many of you have ever had a, a soda that was dropped and then handed to you to open? Unbeknownst to you that it was just dropped. Isn't it interesting that if you, if you open a soda that has been shaken, what's the natural result of the, of the soda? overflow and you know what God is saying listen when you've been shaken when you've been cast down when you have been experiencing tribulation and trial and affliction he said there's something that's going to happen with the love of God and you know what it is it starts to actually overflow and the activator in our lives is actually the the cast down but not forsaken it's this idea of, of I am shaken and tried and, and there are tribulation and trial and that shaking is actually the very thing that begins to activate the overflow of the love of God. Why is it that the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, we glory in tribulation also because there is something that is produced in the life of a believer that is activated by tribulation and it is the love of God that literally cannot be contained in your heart. The proof of love is so easily seen in the gifts of love. And when believers begin to look at even tribulation, tribulation also, and see that if God is always and only good, we see that the love of God is given at least in part in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of all that, 
we glory in the midst of tribulation also because we have found that our God is in fact sufficient. At times we use the expression, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw it with my own eyes. What do we mean by that? We mean I don't know if I would have believed it if I hadn't seen it or experienced it myself. Have you seen your faith tested and then demonstrated to be legitimate with strength greater than you anticipated? Even in tribulation also, is your faith sufficient for the trial? The trial of your present circumstances or whatever may yet come. Maybe today, after you have thought through, even named the current trial of your affliction, maybe today you should say, dear God, I don't thank you necessarily for the heartache, but I thank you for tribulation also because in the midst of my trial, I have experienced the sufficiency of your grace and you remain enough.